The following message features Bob Coughlin and was recorded at the fifth main session of Sovereign Grace Ministries Worship God West 2014 conference. It's entitled Singing and Praying to a Triune God, How to Celebrate Trinity Sunday Every Week. Bob is the director of Sovereign Grace Music. All right, we've been diving into the depths of God and his nature, his being, and uh, hopefully we're coming to understand better and love more the God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. And I don't know about you, but even, even as I've been one of the ones preparing for the conference and uh, you, you know, aware of what's coming, I, I just find things happening in my soul uh, things I hadn't seen before, things in songs I hadn't seen before, hadn't noticed before. And uh, because of the, the teaching that we've been receiving, the excellent teaching we've been receiving, uh, God's opening my eyes to, to who he is. I, I trust that's, that's happening for you as well. Uh, tonight, I want to specifically address what the Trinity means for our singing and our praying. So this, this message is called Singing and Praying to a Triune God. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. I was talking with uh, Julie, my dear wife, uh, over dinner tonight. And we were commenting on how, you know, a concern about coming to this conference is that we... We just start to feel more confused. Uh, man, there's a lot about God I didn't know, and I thought I was okay, but now I feel like I know nothing, and yo, I'm not sure what to do. So, so hopefully, in this message, I, I want to bring things down to street level, uh, as as the different guys have been doing. But this is the, the whole message is going to be about what 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 does this look like as we sing and as we pray. Leading up to this section that we're going to be looking at tonight, Paul's been contrasting the behavior of those who don't know God, who don't know Christ, and and those who do. Of those who are darkened in their understanding and alienated from God, and those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He's contrasting those who are dead in their sins and those who are alive in Christ. Those who are wise and those who are foolish. Those who are foolish and those who understand what the Lord's will is. It's a series of comparisons and commands in which Paul is helping the Ephesians understand how different their lives are now that they're in Christ. And then we arrive at verse 18. And he says, this is the word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, open our eyes to your glory in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word, your precious unfailing, sufficient, infallible, inerrant word that feeds our souls because you speak to us even now through your word. Open our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see how we might know you better and love you more in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what I just read to you, verses 18 through 21, is actually one sentence in the Greek. Just one long sentence. And the way we're going to do this tonight is I'm going to make two remarks about the passage and then spell out four implications for our singing 
and our prey. Okay, two remarks, four implications. First, I want to look at this little phrase at the beginning, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It's a hot topic. Being filled with the Spirit. For some, some people, that is the most important thing about the Christian life, that you be filled with the Spirit. Always talking about it, wanting, wanting people to be filled with the Spirit, crying out to God, fill me with your Spirit, fill me with your Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the command is a corporate command. It's, it's to a group of people, and it's in a passive voice. So literally, it's you all let yourselves continually be filled with the Spirit. All of you let yourselves be continually filled with the Spirit. Now, normally when we hear someone teach on this passage, and actually when I've taught on it myself, we think this is saying be filled with the Spirit individually, as an individual, so then you can do all these things, these four things, these five things. Address people in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. You can sing, you can make melody to the Lord, you can give thanks and submit to others because you're filled with the Spirit. But then the question is, well, well, how do I get filled with the Spirit? I mean, if, if that's the result, how do I get filled with the Spirit? And Paul doesn't tell us here. He doesn't say, well, this is what you do. So some people have offered ideas about what we should do. Maybe, we're, maybe Paul's saying, you know, you need to surrender yourself to the Spirit. Or, or you need to ask to be filled. Just keep asking, ask, ask, fill me, fill me. Or, or it's just a matter of faith. Just, just say, God, please, I believe you're going to fill me with your spirit. Now, it would be completely biblical to say that if you want to be filled with the spirit, fill yourself with the word of God. Because the word of God was breathed out by the spirit. So to be filled with the spirit would be to be filled with the word of God. But all of those involve some speculation. So here's, here's some help for how we're to understand this, this little phrase, be filled with the Spirit. The command to be filled with the Spirit can also be translated, be filled by the Spirit. Because this is the only command in the New Testament that says we are to be filled with the Spirit. So maybe it's, maybe it's a little different than what we're thinking. If it's filled by the Spirit, if we take it that way, a different picture emerges. It's a picture that has more to do with what the Spirit does than filling us. And, and what he does, if we take it in context with the whole letter of Ephesians, what he does is magnify Christ for the glory of the Father. Because early in in the letter, Paul has already mentioned fullness numerous times. And this is what he said. In verse 1, chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, The church is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, The goal of Christian maturity is the fullness of Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 19, he prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So the church is the fullness of Christ. Christian maturity is the fullness of Christ. And Paul prays that we would be filled with the fullness of God. So be filled with the Spirit is not saying so much that we are somehow to be filled with the Spirit, but that we are to be filled by the Spirit with the fullness of God and Christ. Changes things. Because as John mentioned this morning, we know the Holy Spirit more by what he does than who he is. Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to the wind. We see the effects of the Spirit, but we don't see him. And so to be filled by the Spirit is to let ourselves be more and more changed so that we more and more are transformed into the image of God and Christ. And the way that's accomplished, well, he goes on to say how that's accomplished. Speak to one another, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing, make music in your hearts to the Lord. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. And submit 
to one another. Now, interestingly enough, those activities reflect who the Holy Spirit is and how he acts. He's self-effacing. He's others-focused. And as we fix our eyes on God and those around us, we experientially become that temple in which the Spirit dwells, as Paul was describing at the end of chapter 2. In Ephesians, when he's saying that we are being made into a temple in which God dwells by his spirit. So as we do these things, we are filled with the spirit, meaning that we are becoming more like Jesus Christ and like the Father. So think about it. A gathering of the church in which individuals are singing to the Lord with all their hearts and overflowing with gratefulness to the Lord, and at the same time are concerned about speaking to those around them and relating to others in a way that honor the Lord, that congregation is going to be full of the Holy Spirit. You're going to look at that and go, wow, the Holy Spirit is here because I see Jesus Christ here. I see God the Father here in what they're doing. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So that's the first remark, being filled with the Spirit. And then also want to notice just the Trinitarian landscape of these verses. Like, like a lot of prayers in the New Testament, we can miss the Trinitarian DNA that's there. Although I hope after this conference, we'll be more aware of it. Look at it. The Holy Spirit fills us. So there's the Spirit. We sing and make melody to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God the Father. And we do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So, as we gather, the Trinity is there. We give our worship, we give our thanks to the Father by the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. But then we see the Son also receives our worship because it says we're to make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And in the New Testament, the Lord is generally, typically, Jesus Christ. So we're giving thanks to the Father, but we're making melody to Jesus. So God encounters us in such a way that while the three persons are distinct from one another, they can't be separated. You have the one in three, the three in one. Unique and distinct roles, but all worthy of worship. And if you're like me, there's still a little bit of cloudiness that hangs over our relationship to God as Father, Son, and Spirit. What, what do we do with this exactly? What, what practical difference does it make? It, you know, for some of us, it's like, well, this is only making praying and singing more daunting. Like, should I, should I give each member of the Trinity equal time? I mean, will the Spirit be upset if I don't mention him more? Is, that's what the problem. I just haven't been talking to the Spirit much. So I'm, I'm always, I mentioned Father, Spirit. Did I remember Jesus? I can't remember. And, you know, it's possible you can leave the conference afraid to pray because you're not sure how to figure it out. You don't even know where to start. Well, God... I know that's good. I know that's safe. So, so that's, that's why I want to get this message tonight. Because it's good news. There's good news. I have good news for you. We don't have to fully understand the Trinity before God hears our prayers and songs. Isn't that good news? There isn't going to be a test at the end of the conference to determine whether or not you can continue worshiping God. You got a 68. I'm sorry. Don't try this. It's, it's still true. The Father knows what we need before we ask him. Jesus is our great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness and enables us to come before the throne of grace with confidence. And when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us with groanings that are too deep 
for words. So my aim in giving this message is not that we get the words exactly right, but that we understand better and benefit more from the fact that the God we sing and pray to is indeed triune. That's my hope. That's my prayer. So what difference does the Trinity make to our singing and praying? Let's spell out four implications. A Trinitarian perspective in prayer and song, number one, roots us in reality. There's this growing sense as we've gone through this conference that I don't know God as well as I thought I did. I've been a Christian for 41 years. And I'm realizing it can be difficult for me to just put on some of the things we're talking about. Now, it's nice and it's helpful when they're put in a song. Just sing the song. Got it. I'm good to go. But when it's my words and I'm just praying to the God of the Bible, I can be a little confused. Well, the good thing about what we're talking about is this is reality. This is the truth. We were created and redeemed by a triune God. That's the reality we live in. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. You don't have to turn there. God chose you, there's God, the Father, as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth of Christ. That's the implication there. So God chose us, God the Father chose us. We're sanctified by the Spirit because we believed in the truth of Christ. It's the Father who initiates our salvation. Christ accomplishes it and the Spirit applies it to our lives. So that's the reality. That's the truth. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 is even clearer. And we've heard this reference once already. You can turn there. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We may picture our salvation as God just saving us, but it's a little, it's a little more wonderful than that. God the Father sends the Son. The Son redeems us. The Son returns to the Father, and they send the Spirit who enables us to cry out like Jesus did and does Abba, Father. And when we pray and sing, we're simply living out the reverse of that process. Through the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. That's how we are approaching God. The Spirit quickens our hearts, changes our desires. We come through Jesus Christ to the Father. Every prayer that God hears from his people, every prayer we pray is offered up in the Spirit through Jesus Christ to the Father. Every prayer. We pray and sing to the Father through the mediation of Jesus the Son in the enabling power of the Spirit. And when we pray with the Trinity in view, we're building on what is already actually happening, not only in our praying and our singing, but in our lives. 
That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 18, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, Paul and the other New Testament writers regularly make these distinctions. And I I have to confess, I did not see how often they made these distinctions until I prepared this message. And it's just been hitting me like a ton of bricks. Wow. Wow. They, they want us to understand, like Paul does in this passage, what's going on, what the reality is. So, so Paul doesn't say, well, be filled with God and address each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and sing and make melody to God and give thanks to God in God's name and submit to each other because of God. He doesn't do that. He gets very specific. Jude, when he wants to protect his readers from the influence of false teachers, he roots them in the reality of who God is. So Jude, verses 20 and 21, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, there's a dependency and expectancy there, keep yourselves in the love of God, Remember how God showed his love? Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who purchased you and is coming again for you that leads to eternal life. So when he wants to protect them, in this point, he doesn't say God will take care of you. He roots them in the Trinity. He roots them in the Holy Spirit. He roots them in the love of God. He roots them in the mercy of Christ. And there are all kinds of prayers in the New Testament that have this specificity to them. Some address just God. Some address just Jesus. Some address God and Jesus. So Philippians 1.3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That's fine. We can just pray to God. It's okay. Be released. It's okay. 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. So he prays to Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So he, he prays to the Father and the Son. He includes them both. It would make a massive difference if the writers of the New Testament who, who, were, who, who wrote prayers didn't distinguish the persons of the Trinity. I'll give you some examples. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace, love, and fellowship of God be with you all. He could have written it like that. The grace of God, love of God, fellowship of God be with you all. But he doesn't. He doesn't write it like that. This is what he says. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's a different prayer, isn't it? It's bigger. It's more expansive. It's sweeter. It's more wonderful. How about this one? Ephesians 3, 14 through 17. For this reason I bow my knees before God, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being, so that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. He could have prayed that. He didn't. This is what he prayed. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a different prayer. And one of the things I realized as I was going through this process of what would prayers be like if, if, if they weren't recognizing the reality of the Trinity, I, I love God more. Because if it was just, for this reason I bow my knees before God, that according to his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being so that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. Even though the prayers that he may dwell in our hearts through faith, he just remains out there. I pray that God would do this out there. But, but when I hear that it's asking to be strengthened with power through his spirit in my inner being, I'm where his spirit is dwelling in me. And it's so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. That's amazing. God all of a sudden becomes very near. And we'll, we'll learn more about that. We'll see more about that. We'll talk more about that. We'll reflect more on that as we go along. Here's one more. Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. I do not cease to give thanks, asking that God may give you wisdom and revelation in knowing him. That's good. It's a fine prayer. God would hear that prayer. Is what Paul says. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in you my prayers, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you, do you see what's happening? God wants us to know he's Father, Son, and Spirit. And there are relationships that matter. And we have been invited in to those relationships. Why, why make these distinctions and these prayers like this? Because it's the way things really are. And at times when the Spirit isn't mentioned, we can know that He is active. This, we preach in the Spirit. We're baptized in one Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We confess Christ as Lord by the Spirit. We are sealed by the Spirit. And we are sanctified by the Spirit. But it is characteristic of the Spirit that he doesn't draw attention to himself in those instances, but to the Son and the Father. So we never need to wonder, am I giving enough airtime to the Spirit? And there are churches, there are movements, there are ministries that, that fall off the wagon in, right in this direction. It's all about the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit. Well, no, no, it's all about God. And yes, if you're including the Spirit in God, yes. But the Spirit will not have you make it all about Him. I shared this in the seminar today that it's like if, if I wanted to introduce you to somebody and say, here's my friend, Jack. He's, he's, he's great. He's, he's, he, you'll just really love getting to know him. And you say, oh, great. Hi, Jack. And then you just start talking to me. I say, hey, so tell me about yourself. And I say, so, no, I want, I want you to know Jack. I say, yeah, uh, yeah, Jack's great. Yeah, but so what about you? And you tell me about it. Like, I wouldn't want that. I want them to know Jack. You know, I, I'm fine. I just want them to know Jack. He's the, he's the good guy I want them to know. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing with the Son and with the Father. He's saying, I want to come and dwell in you so that you might know how great the Son is and how glorious the Father is. That's what he does. So we don't have to constantly reference the Father, Son, and Spirit for our prayers to be Trinitarian. Our prayers are Trinitarian, whether we acknowledge it or not. It just helps when we do. It helps us pray differently because we're rooting our prayers 
in reality. So that's the first point. A Trinitarian perspective, second, will fuel our faith for prayer, for singing. We're told to be filled with the Spirit or filled by the Spirit, and we're told to make to give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, those are such precious phrases. How many times do you wonder if God's really hearing your prayers? How many times does it feel like your prayers are just making it like up three feet and there's just kind of dropping to the floor? Maybe not even that far. You know, maybe just in your mind. How many times does it feel like when we finish a time of corporate worship, I'm not even sure God was here. I mean, we did our thing. I'm just not sure God was here. One of the greatest joys of knowing that the Trinity is involved in our praying and our singing is knowing that God himself is praying and singing with us. Jesus and the Spirit are both at work. We're not doing this on our own. We don't simply pray and sing to God we pray and sing with God. It's amazing. Jesus and the Spirit pray and sing with and for us. Romans 8.34 tells us, Jesus is interceding for us even now. Hebrews 7 says the same thing. He is interceding for us. Hebrews 2.12, I think Mike referenced this. Jesus says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Jesus sings the Father's praise. He's been doing it from eternity, but when we sing, he's there in our midst singing the Father's praise. Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I mean, how encouraging is that? As I was working on this message, and, and when, when I lead a conference, prayer is very difficult for me. There's just things to plan and prepare for. And, and so I, I received real encouragement from this, this message, from these truths, that I don't have to have a long, worked out, excellent Trinitarian, properly organized prayer. I can just say, God, would you please help me? I need help. Jesus, help me. Spirit, empower me. I need help. And know that Jesus and the Spirit are both adding to that, praying the will of the Father. So when we don't have the right words or the right phrases, when we're distracted, when we start praying in three sentences, realize we, we don't know what we're praying, and we start over, and then we start get another three sentences in, and then we forget where we're praying, and we start over. And, and when that keeps happening... Jesus and the Spirit are helping us in our weakness. It's great. They pray the will of the Father using our, at times, faltering, repetitive, confusing, and disjointed prayers. And believe me, I've prayed them, and I've heard them. Well, Father, just thank you so much, Lord God. Just thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. And Father, thank you for coming and shedding your blood. And we just want you, the Spirit's good. And thank you, uh, just Lord, we're just grateful. Amen. Uh, the Spirit can take that prayer and make it right. Jesus can take that prayer and make it right. That builds my faith to want to pray more. Builds my faith to want to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're told to do. We're told to sing and make melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well let's, let's acknowledge this. It's more than tacking in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer. And, and we do that. And it doesn't have to be quick. It can be slow. In Jesus' name. 
And it, it, it's actually more helpful if we do that. But that's not all it means. The name of Jesus stands for all he stands for, all he is. So it's similar to saying in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where we are. We are in Jesus Christ. So we are joining in on Jesus' praise to the Father. The Son glorifies the Father and sings his praise. We're joining in on Jesus' prayers, his petitions. In John 17, we see Jesus praying to his Father. We see an example of that. And that has been going on from eternity. Jesus talking to the Father. Father, what about this? Oh, yes, let's do that. Yes, yes. We're joining in on that prayer. We're joining in on Jesus' dependence on the Father. See, the Father gives the Son. The Father sends the Son. The Father glorifies the Son. Jesus said the Son can do nothing apart from the Father. And each of those, his prayers, his petitions, his dependence, are a reflection of his eternal relationship with the Father of joyful submission. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. Now, if God were a single person God, and Mike talked about this so well, if, if God were a single person God, then being like him would be being independent and self-sufficient because we'd have no one to relate to. But God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and Jesus became like us so that we might enjoy the same relationship he has with the Father. As Mike was sharing the other night, in the bosom of the Father, that close. And the Spirit actually joins us to Christ. We've been enabled through the work of the Spirit to relate to God as Jesus himself did and does, as Father. How reassuring is that to our faith? What fuel that provides for our faith to know that God has sent the Spirit as the down payment, the seal of our inheritance, who bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. So if, if Jesus and the Spirit are doing all this work for us, does that mean that we can just kind of sit back and kind of let them do it? Yeah, I was going to pray after the conference, but then I found out that Jesus and the Spirit do it all. It's like, I'm freed. This is great. Yeah, I used to pray, but not anymore. Don't need to. No, no. Because God is about transformation. He's about making us like his son. That's what he wants to do. And praying and singing are two of the ways he does that. So I want to read you what Christopher Coxworth said about this in a book that I didn't provide at the book table this year. It's called Holy, Holy, Holy by Christopher Coxworth. Excellent book. This is what he says. The confidence that God has given the Spirit to the church should not lead us to complacent assurance that authentic worship will automatically happen simply by virtue of the fact that we are the church. It should compel us to enter more deeply into the gift God has given so that our worship can be truly inspired by virtue of the fact that the Spirit is breaking us out of our preoccupation with ourselves and taking us into the love which Christ has for God. That's amazing. We can't be complacent because the Spirit takes our eyes off ourselves and puts them on God and others. And we want a part of that. We want to be a part of that. So knowing that Jesus and the Spirit help in our prayers, help us in our prayers and songs, inspire us to want a deeper fellowship with God. God's concern is not that we get all the names right as much as that we become aware of the resources he has given us in himself. So Trinitarian prayer and song fuels our faith. It makes us want to pray. Thirdly, it deepens our delight. 
In the middle of this passage, we're, we're told to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks always and for everything. That sounds like a delightful perspective, a delightful mindset to have when you can give thanks for everything. Do you ever think of prayer as as something to avoid or something you want to neglect rather than pursue and enjoy? Does the thought of of prayer bring to mind guilt and condemnation more often than satisfaction and expectation? Do you ever see singing to God more as a duty or a chore or an obligation or a burden rather than a privilege and a joy? Understanding how the Trinity is involved in our singing and praying will change that. As John helped us see this morning, God invites us to enjoy a relationship with him through Christ in the power of the Spirit that will satisfy us more than anything on earth. It's frightening because it's transforming. If we learn to pray and sing in view of the Father, Son, and Spirit, our lives will change. We will become different. And that process begins by understanding the difference between the abiding presence of the Spirit, which is always with us, and the experiential presence of the Spirit, God wants us to know that he is with us. We aren't just going through the motions. We are entering into and enjoying an eternal fellowship of the triune God. Which means we pray and we sing as dearly loved sons and daughters not merely pardoned criminals and rebels. And that's how we come to God sometimes. We think, well, I'm I'm forgiven, that's great. But, I mean, now I gotta exert this energy and think about God and gotta sing loud and I gotta think of what to pray. And we miss entirely who it is we're praying and singing to and how he feels towards us. The Trinity is not a puzzle to be figured out, but a relationship to enjoy. The goal is not complete understanding, but complete delight. We're not trying to unravel God here. God is revealing himself to us. Important distinctions. The Spirit unites us to Jesus, the Son, who has reconciled us to the Father, who hears us out of his love for us. There's a verse in John where where Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, there will come a time when, when, when I won't ask the Father on, on your behalf. You'll ask the Father because the Father himself loves you. And doesn't that want to make you give thanks always and for everything? Knowing that the Father who who chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, who sent his son to die in our place, to endure the wrath of God for us, who's now poured out his spirit to know that that's the God we're speaking to. And he loves us like his son. Because we are in Christ, 
we always approach God as a father who loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And we've been served so well by Mike and Bruce in, the, in that area. That's why we can always give thanks, give thanks always and for everything. Sometimes we approach God as our judge. We approach him as our, the omnipotent ruler, the sovereign transcendent one. And he is all of those things. Some of us approach God as uninvolved, uncaring, unaware. He's none of those things. This is what is true for every Christian. God is our loving Father who passionately and personally loves us right now. No matter what you did this morning or yesterday or last week or last year or will do tomorrow. If you're in Christ, he loves you. How odd it would be if, if I took one of my children out to, to a really nice restaurant to, to celebrate their birthday. Say, so, yeah, just, just you and me, just want to go out and we're just going to have a great time and yeah, just, we're just going to live it up. And, and the waiter brings the menus and we're looking at it and and they, they look at me, look up from the menu, fear in their eyes, say, Dad, it, it, is it okay this time if I get a, a Coke instead of water? Is that okay? How odd that would be. Or, or if they didn't even bother to ask me because they, they didn't think I'd say yes. Or, or, or if they decided, you know what, I, I'm just going to buy a Coke out of my own money because I know, I know dad won't buy it for me, which my children have offered to do numerous times. <laughs> Wouldn't that be odd? Wouldn't that be strange? Here's what I'd be thinking. They don't know my heart. They have no idea how much I love them, how much I want to bless them, how much I want to give to them and lavish them with my love. They, they don't believe it. Now, this is a far cry from the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which says God just gives us everything we want when we want it. Because a loving father will not give us everything we want. He will give us what is best for us. And if I'm taping, taking my child out to honor them, I want to give them good stuff. And it would, it would be grievous to me, sad, if they didn't believe I wanted to bless them. And yet how often do we approach God with that mindset? God, is it, is it okay if, if I ask that I, I e e eventually get married? You can ask. God is good. God, is it, is it okay if I ask if we eventually have children? Ask. God, is, is it okay if, if, if I ask that you provide a job where I can not only provide for my family, but, but be generous with other people? Yes, yes. He loves us. He wants to do good to us. Here's a quote from a book by Mike Reeves. just came out a month ago in, in the UK. John Calvin said that we pray, as it were, through Jesus' mouth. The father has always longed to hear the prayers of his dear son, and we pray in his name. The son gives us his name to pray in so that we pray as him. 
That relationship between the Father and the Son is what we have been brought in to enjoy. To enjoy. To enjoy. Do you enjoy praying? Do we enjoy praying? We should. And in prayer, that's what we do. So, once again, prayer is exercising faith, believing God's almost incredible promise that we can come to him even though our coldness and our guilt screams otherwise. We must believe the Most High is our loving Father. What a great statement. We must believe that the Most High is our loving Father. Now, we can pray to the Son as well, because he is God, there are scriptural examples, and he invites our prayers. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. There are are a number of prayers that Paul prays where where he adds that himself. May may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Why did he say that? It's, It's almost like a, I want you to see this. We're not just praying to some far off deity. Just It's out there somewhere. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself who walked this earth who was born of a virgin, who lived the life, who died on a physical cross, on a physical hill called Calvary, who was raised from the dead, who is now seated at the Father's right hand, fully man, fully God. May that Lord Jesus Christ himself comfort your hearts. Well, that's some kind of comfort. That's a comfort we can trust. That's a comfort that lasts. So we can pray to the Son. And it's appropriate at times to to pray and sing to the Spirit because He is fully God. But when we do, we want to ask Him to do those things He delights in doing. Most often, when, when the Spirit is mentioned, say in the book of Acts, he's connected with an activity. The Spirit is always doing something. And what, he's doing those things so that Jesus might be magnified to the glory of the Father. So we're not simply asking the Spirit to fall down on us or just to fill us. There are things he does. And so we want to find songs and pray prayers that talk about those things. I remember a time when, when just people seemed to be into, you know, just fill them, Lord, fill them, fill them, fill them. And I, I started thinking about like gas stations and, uh, you know, just it, just, it wasn't helping me. Just fill them, fill them. No, and there are songs like that, you know. It's like, I was saying today in the seminar, it's like, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, uh, come Holy Spirit, you know, come Holy Spirit. If, it's like God and, and the Spirit and Jesus are, are, are in heaven just thinking, you know, we're going to wait until they get to like 127th time, and then we're going to fill them. We're, we're gonna, see, that, that's what it can feel like sometimes. If, if we're going to sing or pray to the Spirit, we want to relate our request to, to the things that he does. But normally... Our prayers and our songs will be directed to a father, the father, who loves us more than we could possibly imagine and is eager to hear our prayers, as eager as he would be to hear the prayers of his own son. Lastly, a Trinitarian perspective not only deepens our delight, it underscores our unity. Isn't it interesting in this, this passage that two actions are, are directed towards God, towards, towards the Lord, towards God the Father, and then two are addressed to those around us. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. God reveals himself to us as a trinity, not to make us more heady and isolated, but more loving and interactive. That's why he reveals himself to us as trinity, not to make us more heady and isolated, but more loving and interactive. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 3, that we are to strive to be eager to maintain the unity of who? Whose unity? Do we know? Whose unity are we to maintain? Yes, the unity of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who brings that unity experientially. We're to work hard. We're to strive to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit, as well as the Father and the Son, are wanting to make us more mindful of and grateful for those around us. You know, one, one of the ways Paul says that, that we um, grieve the Spirit is through our words, our divisive words. That grieves the Spirit. Because the Spirit has been poured out to make us one, not only with the Father and the Son, but with each other. That's what Jesus prayed as well, that they might be one. Our praying and our singing is communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why being filled by the Spirit is not something that simply involves private and mystical experiences but corporate worship and relationships. Keeping a Trinitarian perspective underscores God's desire for our unity. The fullness of the Spirit can only be fully experienced in community. And when we pray and sing to the triune God, we enjoy fellowship not only with the Father, Son, and Spirit, but with each other as well. This this is... This is something we don't always appreciate. There is a benefit to praying and singing with others that we don't get on our own. It's why community by internet in all its various forms will never fully accomplish what God desires for his people. It won't work. Oh, we've come so far. We can have church on the internet. No, we can't. We can listen to messages. We can chat. We can send messages. But we can't have community. That's real life. And it's over a long period of time. That's what the Spirit seeks to do. He wants there to be real interaction, real dependence, real serving going on as we gather. Now think about it. We wouldn't need anyone else to worship a single person God. Just be us and God, me and God. But even in the garden, right after creating Adam and Eve, sorry, right after creating Adam, what does God say? It is not good that man be alone. It's not good. So God created us for fellowship both with him and each other because he has existed in triune fellowship from all eternity and he wants us to join in. He wants us to be a part of that. The unity that's underscored in our singing and praying also reminds us that we worship not three gods, but one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We worship with one act of adoration, the triune God who designed, accomplished, and applied to our hearts the glorious plan of redemption so that God might have a people who love and joy and worship him forever. It's amazing. God intends for us both to relate to him as the one God, the one triune God, and distinctly as Father, Son, and spirit. And here's where it starts to get a little deep. One God, Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. Wow, wow. That's where John Owen's book, Communion with God, is really helpful. Wow, wow. 
And I'm helped by this prayer by an early church father, Gregory of <laughs> Nazianzus, <clears throat> who said, <laughs> who said, listen to this, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them that I am carried back to the one. And that's how it will always be. We aren't to exist in the realm of, well, just Father, Son, Spirit. Okay, here's the Father, Son, Spirit. Okay. Because eventually it will start to feel like three gods. It is, he is one God. Father, Son, and Spirit. That's who we sing to. That's who we pray to. And in all these reflections of the Trinity, it's crucial that we not lose sight of what is of first importance as we, come, as we become more conscious of the Trinity. In the parallel passage to this passage that we looked at tonight, Colossians 3.16, we're told that it is the word of Christ that's to dwell in us richly as we sing and by implication as we pray. So Ephesians, Paul talks about being filled by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Colossians, he talks about being richly filled with the word of Christ. It's entirely appropriate for our minds to be filled with thoughts of the Father who loves us and sent his Son to redeem us. Because it's what the Spirit has been sent to do. Glorify the Son. And the Father is most honored when we join him in treasuring, exalting, delighting in, and obeying his precious Son to whom he has given the name above all names. So in reality, even after this conference, this message, you may find that, well, I'm I'm still praying a lot of things I used to pray, but you'll just have a greater awareness of what they mean. And my prayer is that we will sing more songs that speak of Father, Son, and Spirit in their various roles, that when we pray, we won't just start out mindlessly which is what we often do, don't we? We start to pray. Well, God, thank you for that. Just try this. Just, just start praying, Father. You'll be surprised what you end up doing. Father. He is our Father. He's a Father like no Father on earth ever can be. And He loves us. Like he loves his son. It'll fuel your faith. It'll deepen your delight. As we start to pray, remember who we're praying to and who we're praying through. I want to finish with a a hymn written by Isaac Watts. We give immortal praise. We give immortal praise to God the Father's love for all our comforts here and better hopes above. He sent his own eternal son to die for sins that man had done. To God the Son belongs immortal glory too who bought us with his blood from everlasting woe. And now he lives. And now he reigns and sees the fruit of all his pains. To God the Spirit's name, immortal worship give, whose new creating power makes the dead sinner live. His work completes the great design and fills the soul with joy divine. Almighty God, to thee be endless honors done, the undivided three, and the mysterious one. Where reason fails with all her powers, there faith prevails and love adores. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to sing and pray through Jesus Christ in your spirit. We thank you that you have brought us near. You have brought us closer than we could ever have imagined. And yet one day, we will be still closer. We ask that you would open our eyes even more, open our hearts even more, open our mouths to speak even more the glories of who you are as Father, Son, and Spirit, the one God who in your mercy has redeemed a people for yourself through Jesus Christ that you might be praised forever and that we might know joy with you forever. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Bob Coughlin entitled Singing and Praying to a Triune God, How to Celebrate Trinity Sunday Every Week. It was recorded at the fifth main session of Sovereign Grace Ministries Worship God West 2014 conference. For other messages and more information on Sovereign Grace Ministries, please visit our website at www.sovgracemin.org. That's www.sovgracemin.org.